spark the conversation. Welcome to the Spark the Conversation podcast in partnership with Gonjapreneur.com. I am your host, Bianca Green. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to some people drop knowledge here today. I've got Jared from the Higher Path Collective in Studio City, California. Um, Jared is the UCBA Trade Association president, um, as well as the owner of the Higher Path. The UCBA is a trade association that is a group of pre-ICO collectives in Los Angeles working together to bring awareness and increase the knowledge of the cannabis industry to policymakers and residents throughout California. Uh, Jared was recently introduced to me by a friend of mine uh, that I know from high school and, um, you know, came on board uh, to be a sponsor on our bus tour um, in November. And it's been really nice to get to know Jared because not only is he talking with us today about the trials and tribulations of being a business owner and owning a dispensary in California, uh, Southern California specifically, but the path that he, as the president of the association, is looking to set forth um, for the future of cannabis industry uh, professionals and, you know, why he staffs his staff the way he does. It's a very interesting conversation that we have, and thanks for tuning in. Hi, this is Bianca. I'm here with Jared at the Higher Path in Sherman Oaks today. Uh, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Bianca. I appreciate the invitation. It's crazy how many... <laughs> laws are coming into effect right now and, and people coming out of the shadows and into the light is the most important thing. And, you know, even spending time up in the Emerald Triangle at the beginning of this tour, it's everyone's like, I, I can tell that there's a feeling like we came to the line too late. Mm -hmm. um, and now we're fighting because we don't like this uh, initiative. And I hear that, but even when they had the opportunity to fight all year against it and be very vocal about it, Nobody has done that. Yeah. So. And, and right now it's like, yes, nothing's going to be perfect ever. There's too much special interests that go into every initiative that ever gets written because you don't write it in a vacuum. And there's people who are trying to get their own self-interest a part of that. And it's like, you can't get away from it. And someone's going to be harmed by a law. It's not like, oh, a law happens and everyone's happy. Yeah. And that's not really a law. That's a free, that's a free for all. And so, yeah, it's kind of sad, but you know, there's, this is great for, this is great for getting people out of prison. Yeah. And if Social nothing else, then reform, totally. fuck, dude. It's like, who cares about the rest of it then? Like, we'll work through the rest of it. I think the problem is, is a lot of people who've been in this industry this long are really trying to protect what they built. But when it comes down to patient access and what's best for the community, sometimes we have to go, well, this is what every business goes through. We go through these ebbs and flows, we go through different regulations, and we have to adapt. And as growers who have kind of been here and done this for this long, we're gonna have to adapt. I mean, that's what every business goes through. So, and it's sad, because I, 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 as a cultivator, I know that my job is going to be way more difficult. 
and it's definitely going to increase costs, and those costs are going to be passed down to the to the patient. I mean, that's that's the worst part of this, but hopefully we find a middle ground and have common, you know, profit margins. And do, do you think it'll? Yeah, I was just going to say, do you think it'll come down to the profit margins just being more of like a regular commodity, like a profit margin on a shoe? Because um, right now they're they're big margins. They're not here. I mean, with the amount of taxes we have, it's like we're, I mean, even though we see like 200 patients a day, we still are like at a break even. I mean, with the amount of taxes and, I mean, I have 26 employees and the reason why I have 26 employees is so that I can give you what you need in the way of social media and attention. So someone's there for your attention. Yeah. And a lot of other collectives don't do that. And so they save money in that, but I think they're missing out on how are they going to do outreach. So... And so that's expensive. I have an extra probably 12 employees that go above and beyond mm. just the inner workings of the business. It really goes into how do I expand recognition of this industry and how do I put out a good light? How do I, how do I put a good foot forward for the rest of people to kind of see this is, a, this is an example of how to run a business? How did you get into this business? It's really just like where it squirts water on the roots and it was kind of like one of the first hydroponic style of growing and so he just gave me the table and gave me the light and I kind of cleared some space underneath my stairs in San Francisco and threw one light in and one little table and then started building cabinets so I could do cloning and do a little bit of vegging and then you know and I, I did it for a little while and then I saw that it paid my rent and I was like oh this is kind of nice. And then I was like, wow, well, what else could I do? And so as I slowly expanded, I found um, a collective that would take my product in San Francisco. And so we had a really good relationship, but I only was producing like one and a half pounds or two pounds every three months. Um, so, so that's pretty much how I got started. And I think the main part was I always told myself, it's like I'm too educated to be a drug dealer. So if I can't do this legal, I will do something else because I really need to forge like really good policy and I need to feel like I'm providing for my my family, my friends and my employees, not in a risky sort of way, but in a way that they feel like empowered. And so that was a really big part of how I got started was how do I empower this industry legally as much as I can? And so yeah, it took that first illegal couple of pounds that I grew, which I guess since I gave it to a dispensary, I guess it really wasn't illegal, but um, it took those first couple, yeah. and then you know, then it kind of expands from there. And as I as I expanded, um, you know, then I found other dispensaries, and there was there was one dispensary in particular, the Green Cross, that now I've been working with and been a part of for over 14 years. And so I was. And that's up in the Bay Area. Yeah. Yeah. And so did a lot with project management, did a lot with business structure, did a lot with acquisition of property and legal and, and kind of, um, and Kevin, the president, did like almost, I, when it came to, he was immersed in the business. Like he lived in the dispensary wow. um, so much so that, I mean, he was a part of every aspect of it and was really just, you know, every employee, everything that came in and out of that place, like he just had his fingers in everything and he was so like engrossed in it that it really showed, it showed me like how much you really can jump into an industry and give it all of your heart. Um, I think for me it's like I do a lot of other industries other than, other than marijuana and, and so I've, I'm fairly diversified and so I really do like to see people who are strict in what their goals and dreams are and like really kind of shoot for those. So how did you come down to Los Angeles? 
Um, I had some friends about nine years ago who were opening a dispensary, and so I helped fund the opening of the dispensary, supplied them with product, um, and since I had really good connections up north because of the other collective been running and, and all of the, like, you know, a lot of my friends up there were growers, and so it was my way of kind of like giving my friends who are growers access to distribution. Um, so for nine years I've been in LA, but the ebb and flow of LA has been like, okay, you start a collective, they change the laws, you have to close your collective, you lose all your patient base, and you have to start over. And it got to be that roller coaster was so expensive that running a dispensary in LA became a net zero. Mm -hmm. And that net zero became harder and harder as someone who wanted to provide for patients. Um, so been here for nine years, but I mean, when Prop D was, was coming around, um, I started coming back because I finally started to see a real... Talk a little bit about Prop D. When you say, tell sure. us what Prop D was. Um, Prop D was the fifth of the fifth, um, fifth amendment that was brought to Los Angeles in a way to kind of regulate this industry. Um, and it was three years ago, and it was put on the voter ballot um, as the first proposition that I think we were, that the state had voted on to have as a proposition as a municipality to regulate the industry. And Prop D gave a, like limited immunity, which means you have immunity from prosecution locally. It wasn't giving a license or a permit, but it was saying, well, you know, a license or permit doesn't really do anything anyway, and they were trying to kind of get underneath the federal radar of like giving like a permit to someone to grow a scheduled one narcotic. And so um, that was their, that was the negotiation we all went through in Los Angeles. But that gave 134 dispensaries who had followed all the four previous laws that had been enacted um, a, the right to continue to operate kind of in a grandfather clause. And so those 135 now have been operating. Is there a timeline that they had to have been operating for them to get it? Yeah, it, since 2007 um, was really when it started. So if you had been in operations 2007, filled out all the paperwork, paid all of your taxes, and did all the things the city had asked you to do for those, you know, seven or that's I guess it was six years at that point. If you were a good player for six years, then you were given the right to be a prop D. Um, and so that's where kind of the pre-ICO, which is an interim control ordinance, which kind of says, we are going to create a law, but until we create a law, we're going to give this ordinance that kind of gives you some room to operate as, as a dispensary until our law is enacted. And Prop D was negotiated out because there was Prop E, F, and D that went on the ballot all in that same year. Um, and Prop D was the one the city council had pushed forward. Um, and that's the one that ended up winning um, over the course of, and, and I think it got 63% of the vote, which was more than the mayor at the time. Wow. So, so it really was in a, you know, at this high acceptance rate to have this, this limited number because there had been so many illegal shops or shops operating outside of any sort of business good business practices. And um, what do you think, like when did that happen? I remember um, a bunch of shops opening and there was uh, a big press release about there were more Starbucks and I mean more dispensaries in Los Angeles than Starbucks. What do you think prompted that? Well, because there was no enforcement, um, because the laws were somewhat murky, and because you know it was hard to tell where they were, were they legal, were they not, how long have they been there, and. And honestly, it does come down to the police having an incentive when it comes to asset forfeiture, which is also part of it. You know, it's like if you can quasi-regulate what is quasi-legal, then you know, police have that opportunity to have asset forfeitures, and that really does help their budget. So 
you know, they wanted to enforce it in a kind of systematic way that kept enough shops open, but was closing enough shops to continue to, you know, I guess, kind of help their bottom line. Mm. And this is kind of how asset forfeitures work. I mean, we re in California, we really do need to take away that incentive of asset forfeitures. But so with, with close to 1,200 shops that were open at that time, um, yeah, they had to be reined in, and that's where Prop D came in. It was like, it was an outcry from the city, city council, and from neighborhoods that are like, wow, there's popping up everywhere. Who's regulating this? And since the regulations were really murky, Prop D was an effort to try to make it a little more clear. Yeah, there was a time where, uh, I mean, even on the Venice Boardwalk, you could go and just, it, there was a lot of uh, dispensaries that were open and doctors that, had come up that didn't seem like very legitimate businesses and I think it kind of gave a bad rap to what the medical marijuana industry was trying to do for a while here in Los Angeles. Oh yeah, I mean to to hide behind the guise of medicine was what like, you know, brought the illegitimate side of this industry and why we were so looked at as like, okay, these are just profiteering people. Um, yeah, it kind of it taint it tainted the movement when it really was to give patients access. But, you know, in a lot of ways, like, patients are the people who have insomnia who can't sleep and use it. I mean, there's plenty of people who drink two glasses of wine to go to bed. Like, who's to say it's not a patient to take, you know, a small hit of marijuana to go to sleep too? And so I think that's where a lot of these pot doctors are kind of saying, well, if it works for you, how am I supposed to tell you to do something different? Yeah. And I think that's where everyone kind of was a patient. And but that got expanded into now if everyone's a patient, well, then... I need it because I want to go watch TV and it's more fun to watch TV high. And it's like, well, okay, it, it degraded from there, but yeah. I think it, it really was um, a difficult time to see that many doctors move into that area and just kind of pass out prescriptions without any sort of physical or any sort of kind of psychological kind of evaluation to see how they'd be able to accept a psychoactive drug. And I feel like the people, the consumers started to become more advocates and started explaining um, their own personal experiences, which really helped, you know, people started coming out that they've replaced uh, a lot of pharmaceuticals with cannabis. And even realizing that made a lot of the quote unquote recreational users look at their cannabis consumption as more of a wellness component to their lifestyle. Um, so what do you think the future is? Like, do you think uh, medical will stay in place and recreational and they'll be separate? Like or do you think that it'll fall under more of a, a wellness product? I think it will be more of a wellness product. I mean, as we do more studies and do double blind tests and kind of go through like what I guess is the established way of deciding like FDA approval and the way of establishing how this works for different diseases, we will be able to target diseases, but there'll still be that aspect of you know, can I really calm down with this? Is this really a way for me to kind of reduce stress, reduce anxiety? And that is a wellness kind of side of things. And when you look at CBD, CBDs really do help the homeostasis inside your body. And so it is kind of a wellness drug at this point. I mean, so it will be a huge overlap because, you know, wellness does help your health. And mm -hmm. so so they're they're so intertwined that to separate them um, will be difficult, but I think as we do separate them so that we can target certain diseases, get ratios that are very specific, and make people aware that these are the kind of 
prescribed ways of taking this for this particular disease, I think that is going to be one aspect of the industry. And the rest of the industry will really be about what works well for your body, how do you feel after you're done using it, and how much better are you now in health and wellness by taking it. And you can, as an individual, and kind of hopefully in concert with your primary care physician, find a true way of using the cannabis for disease prevention and also using it for the kind of wellness side. Where do you see that your business going under that um, theme? Because right now the collectives are for patients. Mm -hmm. Once and if, I mean, I should say it, if um, legalization happens this year, how does that change the dispensing of it? Um, we really do emphasize the wellness of it. Uh, I mean, when I started this collective, I felt like there was an underserved market of females who you know, kind of felt a little bit sketchy going into some of the dispensaries and also kind of the openness that was needed for an older demographic to feel comfortable inside mm -hmm. of this community. And so when I started this, my, my initial kind of patient base was 20% female and mm -hmm. now we're at a 60% because I catered to that demographic trying to leave a safe, educated place where other females were there who were caregivers. And it's not just females, it's the feminine side of anybody's kind of personality that wants to be that caregiver and give. And when you give, the reception that you get in return, like the reward that you get in return for helping someone is also part of the benefit of working at a collective that really does things on a medical base. Because people walk in and go, I have not felt this good in 20 years. Yeah. I've dealt with these addictions to opiates for this long and this is the first time I've been able to kick this habit. Or, wow, this is my last resort. I've gone through $300,000 in debt to get rid of my cancer and now this is my last resort. What can you do for me? Those are the rewards we have here. And I really don't think that I want to change that model because those rewards are far better than someone to come in here and go, wow, I got so high last yeah, night. Yeah. That was great. Well, that's well, exciting for a second. That, you do, uh, that challenges you to create a business here and be able to dispense a product probably worth it. Yeah. And, and it, gives, it gives the people who work here a purpose. Mm. And that purpose is greater than just themselves. And sometimes when you're just a bartender, it's great. You get this interpersonal sort of connection. Um, so, yeah, no, I totally, I, I get that. Sometimes when I'm <clears throat> volunteering on this, even on this tour, you know, it's like, uh, and then you just think about the patients and the people that it's helping and the more access that people have to the plant, um, I feel the better. Yeah, I think it's right now, Access to the plant is, is definitely here. It's access to the education and access to someone who can personalize that education to what your individual needs are. And that's what we do different here. There's a reason why I have an extra three or four employees here every day than I really need to operate this shop. It's so that I can give you an hour of, of my time as an individual so that I can ask, what are your needs? What are your symptoms? Have you tried anything in this industry before? Here's what we can try to get you on a foundation and here's what we're trying to build towards that education changes the way not only they view this product, but the way that they view their own wellness and how they need to take responsibility for how they're going to be healthy. Because here is a, here is a foundation for you to build on. I need your input. I need your kind of your temperament, what you're feeling about it. I need all of that so I can build a better like product for you individually. And I think the reason why we were voted best in Los Angeles for 2016 was because of that very personal connection that we have. We know people's names because not 
not just because we ask them, but it's because we ask them what their name is, we ask them what their ailments are, and because we really want to help them, we take that in as a memory. It's like we, yeah. and we remember who you are and why you are here. And, and that's, that's the true difference. That's why I have the same six employees that I started with. My original six employees are still here after three and a half years. And in an industry that has the kind of turnover that this does, um, it's, it feels really good for me to be an owner and someone who's managed these people to feel like they are giving back to the community in such a way that the reward system it, it is so much greater than just money. And when people go home and tell their roommates and tell their friends what they did today, like that changes how you view coming to work. People come to work happy mm. and they leave happy. And that is a totally different way of, of, of seeing work. And when the rewards are here at work, it changes the way people view what is considered work. They get paid to come here and help people. And that is something that's really rewarding. So. That's really a great foundation to have a business. Tell me, what, what advice would you give um, some of the entrepreneurs trying to get into the industry? Um, I think what it is, is it's a fairly saturated market right now. And um, it's going to take capital to get into this market now because permitting is going to be expensive. You know, the amount of, the amount of, like, the amount of inventory you need is expensive. And so, Capital is going to be a big part of it. And if you do know how to run a regular business, that does give you some advantages, but it doesn't tell you how to provide for patients. And you need to go and get educated about the plant, educated about diseases, educated about that, because that is truly where you can be, um, continue to be an outlier in the industry, because the industry is growing towards pure education, mm -hmm. pure medicine purer kind of stuff, that purer kind of idea of how do we help people. And I still think there's a lot of room for new kind of entrepreneurs in this, in this, um, in this industry. There's a real kind of space for that still. Well, I think too that, you know, like Bob Marley says, the, the plant reveals you to yourself. Mm -hmm. I think when people are, are patients right now, um, it allows them the opportunity to have access and figure out how they can actually help the plant. I feel like um, a lot of people that are in and in, have been embedded in this industry have a real relationship with the plant and not just the business side of it, um, which I see a lot of new entrepreneurs coming in that are a little bit more focused on the business and the, and the money aspect. Um, but a lot of people who have been pioneers really have a different relationship with it. Tell me what your relationship with the plant is. Well, I mean, for me, I had insomnia, and so it was like, you know, I didn't know how to fall asleep. And, and I didn't use it recreationally at first because I didn't really have access to it as a kid. Um, and then, so then once I was kind of uh, in high school, um, I had access to it, and I think we tried it a couple of times in kind of that recreational sort of way, but then it made me tired all the time. And so then you kind of put those two pieces together that I could use it to get tired, um, it did become a tool for me. Um, and so since then, I mean, I've grown it for 17 years and I have been an advocate for this for 17 years. I've definitely worked on the political side of it in San Francisco for a long time, sat on the medical marijuana task force there and helped write regulations for San Francisco eight years ago. Um, 
and really have been an advocate. You know, these are unpaid positions. These are hours and times that we go through because yeah. we want to make sure people have access. And it's not just access, it's access to good medicine with good education because those have to go together. Because just access to it is not enough. Because then you don't know how to use it, when to use it, and what's the best totally one to agree. use. And so that was really important for me to make sure that that access was there to that education side of it. So, um, you know, writing good policy and procedures for, for, for cultivators was important because I knew a lot about the construction industry. So I was like, we need to make sure our electrical is right so that we don't create fires and we don't create hazards for our neighbors and so that we can be good uh, business people inside of our own community. And so, and what can you spray on your plants to keep pests away without harming each other? And so that was a really big part of how when we were creating the reg regulations in San Francisco, that was our main focus. We knew marijuana was there. We knew that dispensaries yeah. were there. But what were we going to do to make sure that there was a clear line between a good business and one that was really just trying to profiteer? And so that was, that was really big for me. And so, um, you know, being in the politics side for this long, I think that it really was the connection to the plant and then my, the ability to educate people was where I felt like I had, a, I had an advantage because I can articulate myself about the biology and the physiological effects of the plant to someone so that they can look internally and say, why would I use this? What does that mean to me? And so when you bring meaning to the plant, like how you have that kind of personal relationship with it and how you use it as a tool, that's when you do become like, that's when you become a lover of it because you know how to use it right. And some of the new entrepreneurs who are coming in, they need to find the people who have that connection to the plant and they need to partner up because without the soul that comes along with this industry, really are we all as a commodity and it's, we're not just a commodity. We're a service and we're a commodity and we need to combine those two together. And if we don't combine the service and education with the business side of it, then I think we're missing out on why we even did this from the very beginning. And is that what led you to UCBA? You're the president of UCBA, correct? Yeah. Um, tell me a little bit about how that manifested. Um, when I came to Los Angeles, I was like, I'm fresh out of San Francisco. We have a great regulatory system. Um, our city is backing us. Gavin Newsom like really supported our industry in that time. And then subsequent um, like governors also backed our industry because it was well run and well regulated. So I come to Los Angeles, love the Prop D, thinking this is going to be the end of the proliferation of illegal shops, mm -hmm. and it wasn't. And, yeah. you know, and, and so since that proliferation just kept happening and no one was really doing anything to change it, UCBA popped out out of the, you know, the vacuum that was created by no one really trying to change the politics, the enforcement, the regulation side of it. Everyone was just trying to use Prop D as a way to just open a business. Because like, oh, look, Los Angeles made it legal. And even though there's only, only supposed to be 135, there was thousands. And so UCBA came and said, we need to be the business people. We need to write a regulation. We need to make sure the city understands what our industry needs and what we want. And we need to push them to write good legislation because that's what it took in San Francisco. And that's what it takes in almost every municipality. It's like it takes educating them, making it a priority to them because politicians have a lot of priorities. And unless you make this a priority, then they're gonna fall to whoever the squeaky wheel is. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, we've had to be the squeaky wheel. And so UCBA stepped up and said, we're gonna work hand in hand with the city council. 
And so city council and us were working hand in hand for well over nine months, telling them what our industry needed, them telling us what they didn't want from the industry and how they were scared about having too many dispensaries or what the proliferation might look like. And so our ordinance was written with the kind of understanding of what the city wanted. Um, yes, what the city wanted has changed because the industry has changed, the knowledge has changed, their priority to now look at this industry differently has changed. So our ordinance looks like somewhat archaic because so much has changed in three or four months and we wrote this five months ago. So yeah, um, but what our ordinance really did was give the power to the city council to make all the adjustments it needed instead of having to go back to the voters, which Prop D was making us do. That's why we had to make an ordinance, because the only way to supersede an old proposition is with another voter proposition or ordinance. So we felt like, yeah, we were going to take the risk. We were going to push city council to make marijuana a priority, because Prop 64 was coming. Uh, MRSA was already here. And like these are the things that we needed. And we were like, this is going to be huge. And if we can do it for the city, we can really create a lot of tax revenue. So we were born out of the vacuum that was needed to have professionals who are willing to put money into legal documents to put it on the to put it on the ballot, to get voters to sign. And so it really was that kind of creation. And in that now we have put we have put the fire to the feet of city council to do something. Um, and we've been supportive of them from the very beginning. Like, no, I don't want to, I'm not egotistical enough to believe that I need my name on an ordinance that gets tax dollars for Los Angeles. I just want to protect this industry. And until someone says, someone needs to be legal in Los Angeles for us to really have a fully functional marijuana industry, like someone needs to be legal, and we need to pressure them to make these commitments to permitting to zoning to they have to make the regulations and so that's what they've been tasked to do now and they've been kind of forced and I think we're getting a little backlash from the city council on our ordinance because we're forcing them to do something and no one wants to be forced to do anything but in this industry we've had to force every municipality to listen to us do things for our industry and do what's right for what is a huge industry in California we've always had to push historically that's what we've had to do and this is no different even though now it looks like the writing's on the wall for legality, you still need to push. Because even now, they still haven't created any sort of regulatory system from the city, and they have till November 9th to do it for the March ballot. Well, they're just now talking about it. Wow. And it's Last today, week. November 2nd. Yeah. And so they only have six more days to put something on the ballot to either like complement our ordinance or to compete with it. And, um, and Really, we don't want to compete with the city. We want the city to have good regulations. I would love to pull our ordinance and say, the city, what you've created is way better than what we came up with because you are taking all of your constituents into effect, into account. Like we took a small subsection of dispensary owners and said, this is what we need as dispensary owners and this is what we think will empower you to regulate the rest of the industry. That's what our ordinance stands for. Um, but the ordinance really stands for, you got to do something because no, you don't want to have a trade association come in here and bring in like $20 million in tax revenue. You want the city to write an ordinance so that they can take credit and take, you know, and, and see and, and allocate the taxes the best way for the city. They need to take that. And so it was pressuring them to do what was right, which is for the city council to really write good regulation. That's what we started with. And our whole goal was to pressure them. And that's what we've done. And it cost us a lot. And, and in the end, um, 
will probably get little or no credit for it, but it doesn't really matter. If the industry moves in a good place, that was our intention. Well, that's a positive way to perceive and be a part of your, your industry and community. Um, you know, my last question would be, how does the higher path contribute back to the community? But you've kind of nailed it in so many different ways. Just, you know, the time that you donate and the energy that you donate, not only to helping patients have safe access, but your, um, I, some would call competitors having the opportunity to have legal businesses. So your community being able to uh, run legal businesses, you know, is applaud. I applaud you for that. Tell me, um, you know, what higher pass goals are, um, you know, other than the advocacy that obviously goes along with UCBA and your personal advocacy. What are the other things that higher path is is getting involved with with community outreach um, and giving back from a social responsibility perspective? Yeah, I mean, we're the first and only collective that's a part of the Chamber of Commerce here in Los Angeles, and so wow. connecting connecting our industry to local business and local businesses and the, and their advocacy groups is really important for me because we're no different when it comes to another business. And so I wanted to take the stigma away of we're this outsider. I wanted to, to come in and let other businesses know that, guess what, I pay all my taxes. I have workman's comp insurance. I have general liability. I even have marijuana insurance, which, you know, and so, so that was a, a big part of the communication between the Chamber of Commerce. And we're also a member of the Sherman Oaks Homeowners Association. We're a member of VICA, which is a valley industry group of business owners. Um, we help uh, Women's Grow, which is, a, which, is a, which is an advocacy group to make sure that women are empowered in this industry um, because they're underserved. And, uh, you know, we donate a lot to food drives, can drives. We've done socks. And you know, so it's like we awesome. do all of these kind of advocacy groups. We, we had a Veterans Month where um, any veteran who came in here would get about a $200 pack of CBDs when yeah. it came to educating them about how it helped with their PTSD, how it could help with, you know, phantom pains from lost limbs and, uh, anti and like, anxiety. So we're like, we... We, in conjunction with other distributors, like vendors, we kind of said, well, if you can kind of donate some product, we'll pay for some. It was a concerted effort to kind of find how can we as a community come together and help this kind of ailing, like, subsection of our community in the way of veterans. Um, that really can't even afford no. this medicine. So we helped with Weed for Warriors, which is a really good advocacy group. So we were one of the we were one of the people who really helped them here. And and in that, um, we do a different theme of every month, so that we we really kind of focus on different parts of maybe the community or kind of the outreach. And one of our months was for was for veterans. Another one was for kind of homeless. And we've done things on on just music and the appreciation of music. Because we don't, you know, it's like it's nice to really dive into the community, but it's also nice to dive into you know the other ways lifestyle ways so that we're not just perceived as playing video games getting high yeah. like it really is nice to go and listen to a band while high it does heighten your senses it does give you that kind of personal connection so um, there's a lot of ways that you can kind of help your community and you know right now I'm one of the I'm I'm more known in this community as a business owner than other businesses know each other like they all know me but they don't know each other because I walk around and tell them what I'm doing I've asked if we wanted to kind of pitch in and have like a security company like kind of parole our back alley and we could all pull our money together that'd be much cheaper because the watchstar got broken into 
which is right down the street. The dry cleaners got broken into. And so there was this string of thefts and break-ins that were happening, and they all came in from our back alley. So I was like, well, what can we do as a community to lower our costs, but also make us connected in the way that we support each other in security and in business? And so I give everyone in this neighborhood, if they're, if they're within a mile radius and they have and they work anywhere in this mile radius, that they get a discount at the shop. So I'm trying to, um, trying to give back to the people who, not only who, who definitely work here um, because a lot of times they might have to commute to this area. Yeah. So for them to, and to keep those kind of tax dollars like right here, like, um, I mean, I have art at the front. We've sold over $30,000 in art from our, from, our, from our front lobby. Those are all local artists. Wow. We, have, um, we have a comedy show the last Tuesday of every month. Those are local comedians who come here and get a chance to kind of try out their, you know. We have bands who come who are just local bands who get to play in our lobby. And so we really do try to give the community of arts and people who are somewhat disenfranchised, um, yeah, we try to give them access and we try to give them a space to kind of show their art or, um, or music. And it's like, and it feels really good. I mean, one, wonderful. one time a, um, um, a woman who walked by and, and sprayed paint on all the dispensaries on Ventura Boulevard, and we had a 75-year-old veteran who saw that, that she poured paint on the front of our building. And so he went to Home Depot, bought brushes, bought paint thinner, and, and sat outside for about six hours. And I was like, please, I don't want you to do this. He's like, this is the way that I get to give back to you with how much you've given to me. He's like, I want to do this for you. He's like, this is the best way that I can say thank you. So we, yeah, he was out there for six hours scrubbing paint, and I felt really guilty, but you know, being I'm not a good receiver. So this is a time when I just said, I need to receive in this place where he wants to give so he gets the reward of giving back to us. And, and knowing how many veterans and people come and try to protect our space, it's one of the reasons why when people come here they see it's such a good feeling. Because most of the people who come here, they come here because they love the fact that we have given them the respect that they deserve to come here and not feel guilty about buying a product that is maybe recreational, maybe medicinal. We're not <laughs> judging you. You use yeah. it the way you want to and they get a lot of education for it. And so that's a really important thing. Tell everybody where where this is. Tell the us where we can find you, Jared, and the Higher Path. Sure. The um, thehigherpath.com is a good place to start. Um, we're in Sherman Oaks. We're at 14080 Ventura Boulevard. Um, and I, I think being a good player in Los Angeles and showing people that this is the way you can do business. I mean, I post my taxes on the front of my window in a laminated kind of picture so that everyone can see what I give away in donations, what I pay in taxes, um, so that people know that, you know what, I am giving back to my community, not just in taxes, not just in donations, but in the education and structure that we have for this business. And so I think a lot of this community, since I have one of the higher retention rates in my industry, once they come here, they don't really want to go anywhere else. Because there's respect here, and and that is a big part of this industry. Is like, you know, we've respected each other in the land and the cultivation side of it. That somewhat got lost in the dispensary model. 
especially in Los Angeles when there's a proliferation of it, respect got lost. It became a commodity, it became money, it became, you know, hurry, get in, get out, get your stuff, make your decision. Like, you know, can I get something that's good for my asthma? Like, I don't know, just get an OG Kush. Like, that's, that's the kind of response they got. When people come in here and they talk about what they can do for their asthma, we talk about vasodilators, we talk about anti-inflammatories, we talk about other ways to get it into your body to reduce inflammation. Like, that is the respect that people deserve. When they hear this is medical, they should be able to walk in and actually, like, physically see that this is medical and feel that kind of relationship. So. Um, I think that's what's important. Awesome, thehigherpath.com. Yeah. Check out Jared and come check out The Higher Path. It is a very beautiful dispensary and really lovely employees. So you really upped the bar. I remember my first experience, there were bars and <clears throat> you know a lot of locks. And this is a very open door policy and it feels really good. So I encourage everybody to stop by and check it out. and. Um, check out what you're doing with UCBA. Is there a way that people can find out about that association? Man, you can Google UCBA. It's a pretty quick one. You can kind of see. United and... Cannabis Business Association. Mm -hmm. yeah, there's a lot of acronyms in drug policy. <laughs> Very true. Right? And, and trade associations, I guess. Well, thank you so much for being here with me today. And I, I really appreciate you having us here. It's It's been nice going to the um, podcast and being able to do it in people's own territory. So. Yeah. I feel, well, I feel at home when I do these. I really appreciate you taking this time out of your life, too, to really advocate for us on kind of a national, and especially right now in California, it's really important that this word does get out and that we do hear people and what they want from this industry and how they've had the connection. I think it's important that we don't just have industry leaders tell everyone what they're supposed to hear. We hear the patients. We know what they feel and how the connection is because that's truly what matters. The conversation right now is everything because it's it's mm -hmm. all firsts. Yeah. Even though things have existed for quite some time, there's definitely a lot of firsts going on. So I definitely see the value in the conversation and I appreciate you having one with me today. No, thank you. I appreciate it too. Awesome. Spark the Conversation is really excited to do this partnership with Ganjapreneur.com creating these podcasts. Um, it's a resource for cannabis professionals advocates, patients, business owners, um, anyone really who's in favor of responsible growth. So visit Gondrepreneur.com for daily cannabis news, uh, career openings, company profiles, and of course, you know, more episodes of this podcast. Um, we're thankful to them and the partnership that we have with them, and we appreciate the fact that they spark the conversation and help Gondrepreneurs grow. All I want you to do is spark the conversation.